Section 1 of The Gargoyle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ben Tucker. The Gargoyle by Greia Laspina. Chapter 1. Alias Cagliostro. Luke Porter had just ordered supper. His waitress, a chatty and pert young countrywoman, hesitated before departing for the kitchen. It was obvious that she had something on her mind. Luke's light gray eyes twinkled at her half-confusion. He was enjoying the play of expression over her face and had no intention of helping her out. At his open amusement, she took heart. "'There's a party outside who wants to know if he can have his supper with you,' she told him finally. "'He says you don't know him, but he thinks he has something interesting to tell you.' "'He does, eh?' Luke laughed softly. Why does he think I will be interested in his information? The young woman put her hand into her gingham apron pocket and drew out a newspaper clipping which she held toward him. She waited in silence until the young man had read it, and when he looked up, his face slight with interest. She had her turn at laughter. Huh, changed your mind, didn't you, mister? Shall he come in? Tell him if he doesn't come, I'll go out and pull him in, exclaimed Luke, and once more bent his gaze upon the clipping. It was a rather astonishing advertisement. Occultist. I want to initiate a cultist of mature years, with an assistant youth of fine physique and handsome, to aid in the completion of important occult experiment. For particulars, address Occult Book Concern, 40 Park Row, New York City. As Luke stared incredulously, something happened to the print. It went blurry and then cleared up to a few words in an expanse of white. For a moment, he could not understand what had happened. Then he read the visiting card that had been laid upon the clipping and lifted his eyes to see the owner of that formidable and mysterious Cagliostro Moderno, initiate occultist. Imagination had conjured up almost instantaneously a tall and slender figure of fearsome dignity with flashing black eyes. What confronted him as he rose instinctively to his feet was a black-cloaked form of hardly middle height but of heavy build. The individual enveloped in the cloak was so holding it that his face was almost hidden. All that showed was a small, button-like nose above which peered pale blue eyes squinting involuntarily, as if in distaste at the light which flooded the room in true country hostelry fashion. Carrot-colored hair stood in a stiff pompadour above a sallow face. "'Mr. Moderno?' queried Luke uncertainly. The mysterious stranger bowed with tremendous dignity. "'Will you be seated, sir? And will you mercifully explain this?' Luke lifted the newspaper clipping, and his gray eyes searched the sallow countenance of the stranger, who seated himself opposite, and at once became a figure of far more impressiveness, owing to the fact that his body was long, making him seem much taller when seated than he really was. He threw back the black mantle, displaying a flame-colored lining covered with symbolic figures, embroidered in various shades. But in tossing back the mantle, he also uncovered his face, so that the combination of button nose, Cupid's bow mouth, and squinting pale blue eyes made up an ensemble oddly at variance with his air of mystery and importance. "'Call me Cagliostro,' he commanded severely. "'Young man, are you married?' Luke parried. "'Well, what if I am?' he asked. "'How can it matter to you?' "'It may matter much to me, and to you as well. Do not be flippant. Give me a direct answer.' Upon your single status, much depends. Luke's firm lips curled whimsically at the corners. 
Good friend Cagliostro, I am still heart-whole and fancy-free. The unknown drew what was obviously a deep sigh of relief. Then you can serve as my assistant, he exclaimed, pointing at the clipping which Luke still held between thumb and forefinger of one well-formed hand. But, my good chap, I don't know anything about magic of any kind, the young man retorted, humoring what certainly appeared to be a harmless madman. All my magic consists of splashing colors on canvas. But you are young and good-looking and unmarried, the unknown insisted, and my nephew disappointed me at the last moment, he confided leaning across the table, and unbending sufficiently from his high pose to look pleadingly at the artist. Luke Porter stared incredulously at his vis-a-vis, the impulse to shout with laughter seizing almost irresistibly upon him. The man was amusing in his gravity. Have some of this steak, he offered. Potatoes? As long as you're here, you'd better help me eat good Cagliostro. And then out with the whole story. You can't expect me to be your assistant unless you tell me the situation, you know. Cagliostro Moderno hesitated. The squinting blue eyes searchingly upon Luke. Then he let himself relax comfortably in his chair held out the plate the waitress had provided for the unexpected guest, and began to talk incoherently. Luke listened, and began to gather in details of an eerie situation, the like of which he had never in his life believed possible. Somewhere in the Pennsylvania woods near Shakerville, about a mile up Waddy Ridge from the main road between Shakerville and Spinnerton, there was the replica of a medieval castle called Fainwald by the owners. This castle had been built by the present Madame Fane in her girlhood, as a surprise for her young husband. Madame Fane had had all the money, but the young husband had not remained with her long after the birth of their child, a boy. He had deserted her, eloping with a country girl from a nearby farm. Since that time, Madame Fane had shut herself up with her son in the castle. Surrounded by faithful servants, rendered blind, deaf, and dumb by the large wages they received. It was the son, Guy Fane, who was a student of the occult, and who had advertised through the book concern for another occultist to aid him in his experiments. At this point in his recital, Cagliostro grew somewhat darker of color, and drew out a smaller business card than the important one he had first given the artist. On it was printed in unobtrusive lettering, Herbert Benny, Rare Books, Occult Books, a Specialty. "'That is the name given me at birth,' exclaimed he, the pale blue eyes watchfully on Luke's face to detect the slightest tendency to amusement." Cagliostro is the name I have uh, earned by my research along occult lines. You can readily understand, Mr. Porter, thank you, that Benny is hardly a name to command such respect as an adept magician merits. Naturally, Mr. Benny, agreed Luke, the mobile lips twitching. Cagliostro, please, corrected the mage pointedly. Well, by reason of my correspondence with the book Concern, it believed me to be the proper person to attend Mr. Fane in his experiments. He lifted his round little chin, his chest swelling perceptibly. Astonishing. I therefore selected my sister's son, a young and handsome boy, to be my assistant, although what Mr. Fane wishes a green youth for is beyond my comprehension, puzzled Cagliostro. But Bobby got cold feet just before I left because he was invited to a costume ball and didn't want to miss it, with cold disdain. So you are in need of a handsome young man who isn't tied to a wife, laughed Luke, pushing away his plate and leaning back in his chair easily. How are you to know I'm not lying when I say I'm single? 
Cagliostro stiffened. The squinty blue eyes narrowed. It would not be easy to deceive me, Mr. Porter, he declared impressively. I asked you to be sure, but that was to give you a chance to declare yourself. I knew you weren't married. You did? May I ask how? By your eagle look. My puzzled Luke. You look free, wild, uh... And the mage, at a loss for appropriate words, waved his hands expressively, displaying one pudgy finger, an oddly carved ring with a heavy, blood-red stone. I see, murmured Luke, smiling. You will go with me after dinner, asserted Cagliostro with the mean of one who has untold resources at his back to enforce his wishes. To Fainwald, whatever emolument I receive for my occult services shall be evenly divided with you. But go alone I dare not, after my correspondence with Mr. Fane. The handsome, unmarried assistant is absolutely obligatory, he finished pleadingly. My good Cagliostro, Luke retorted with a slight smile, I am on my way to Bowers Ridge to visit an old college friend who spends his summers on a farm there. I haven't seen him for four years. I certainly do not intend to give up my visit to go on such a wild goose chase as you have outlined. I am an artist, not a magician. Cagliostro rose from his seat, drawing the black mantle about him again with an impressive air. One arm held it across his face, hiding all but the small blue eyes that now flashed with a sudden, steely light at the imperturbable young artist. I shall be on my way, he announced, in the taxi I ordered. But I warn you, young man, that before the evening is old, you will be at my side, acting in the capacity I have outlined. I need you. And when Cagliostro Moderno needs anything, the whole universe swings that thing toward him, he finished majestically, and stalked toward the dining room door. At the entrance he turned. Shall I dismiss the taxi? he insinuated, the mantle slipping sufficiently to discover the button nose that looked so childish on the small round face. Then you can take me there directly in your roadster. Luke got up from the table a trifle impatiently. His gray eyes darkened. My good Cagliostro, when I say a thing, I mean it, he remarked pointedly. I am not going to Fainwald. I am going up the pike, down the third road to the right, and then the first road to the left. Down the first road to the left, repeated the occultist. A sudden flash of expression went across his face. He laughed outright. Good night, or rather, off we to sing he said mockingly as he went out of the room. Now what the devil did he mean by that? wondered the artist as he drove his roadster down the pike half an hour later. Too darn sure of getting what he wants, that fellow. If I weren't afraid old Ralph might go back to the city in another week or ten days, I'd take up with friend Benny's offer. It was mighty intriguing. The October dusk was gathering swiftly. Luke switched on his headlights and proceeded with caution along the country road the third to his right. After going about three miles, he met another car, and the two cars had to manage rather carefully to avoid the deep ditches outlining the road on either side. As the other car passed, the driver leaned out and hailed Luke. "'Your name's Porter, ain't it? The old guy says not to forget the first turn to the left,' he yelled. "'Much obliged,' the artist shouted as he got his car back on the road and drove slowly away. He was just a little irritated by the reminder from the occultist, who had only too evidently not forgotten the necessity of a young and handsome assistant. 
and was still hopeful that Luke might change his mind. The first road to the left proved to be a dirt road with deep ruts, obviously one that did not see much traffic. Luke turned down it, driving cautiously. The road led winding into the very heart of a forest. It went more and more deeply. The headlights darted weirdly between serried ranks of crowding trees until the wood seemed full of awesome shades that slipped behind the shelter of tree trunks as Luke drove on into their midst. It was somehow strangely oppressive and ominous to the sensitive perception of the young artist. He told himself that he would not particularly care to pass the night in such a place, alone among those slinking shadows. And then in the glare of the headlights, there appeared another shadow, detached from those that slunk back, massing behind him as he drove on. Black with flapping ebon wings that waved on either side as it came toward him, like a tremendous bat running on hind legs down the roadway to intercept him, the thing advanced, stumbling, tripping, but ever nearer. Luke felt his blood chill in his veins. He dare not drive directly upon that black thing in his way. He stopped the car, letting the engine run. What in God's universe could it be? And then it came into the full glare of the headlights, and it had a white face like a man's. It was a man. The black wings were only the flapping corners of a great mantle. It was a man, and as it ran, it moaned as if in pain. Luke stared, incredulous, stopped the engine, sprang out of the car to meet him, for he saw now who it was. It was the little occultist, staring-eyed, white-faced, drawn into a Greek tragic mask of horror. He was moaning as he ran blindly along the roadway, the artist stopped him with a hand on his shoulder as the little man would have fled back along the road toward the pike. And at the touch of Luke's hand, Herbert Benny collapsed like a pricked balloon, stumbling all in a heap upon the road, with a quavering screech of unutterable fear and horror pushing between his distorted lips. End of chapter 1